No, we'd, uh, we'd, we, we don't. That would be interesting to have a, a podcast exclusively for Presbyterians, though. I wonder. Uh, but I guess every episode would have been preordained from the very beginning, so there wouldn't be much surprise to it. Sure, there uh, was, but yeah. I guess. <laughs> so, Jace Broadhurst, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are I'm you doing? I am doing great. It's been a busy day. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to this. So. And you are, what part of California are you in? I'm in Bakersfield right now. Okay. I've just been here for a year. Okay. Where, where were you before that? Uh, Indiana for a couple of years before that, but most of my life has been Maryland. Okay. So we got uh, put together by our mutual friend, Josh Patterson. Um congregation members will that is what i call my listeners uh they will remember josh well he's one of the favorites and josh explained to a lot of questions that i would ask josh the answer would be you should talk to jace you should talk to jace uh he's the old testament guy or he's this guy um is what i would get and then i i listened recently to your episode with josh uh about the Satan. And I was like, well, that is a lot of, of my questions I have for him. So great. All right. Yeah. I'm very, um, so it seems like I've had, like, I've had a few, would you consider your, like, what kind of, would you consider yourself, uh, a scholar, more on the philosophy side, a theologian, a thinker, where do you, where, I guess, introduce yourself or okay. <laughs> state kind of your credentials, shall we say? All right. So I'm a wannabe scholar, a lot like Josh, I guess, except for I actually have a master's degree and a PhD in Old Testament hermeneutics. So Hebrew Bible. Um, so I'm a Bible scholar. That's okay. different than, or a biblical theologian. That's different than a systematic theologian or just a shortened term. I'm a, I'm a theologian, which usually means you're dealing with, you know, uh, practical questions for today and how the Bible applies to those things. I'm a, I'm a biblical scholar. I don't know necessarily how it all applies, uh, although I'm also a pastor. So I spend a lot of time thinking about those questions and taking the text and making it relevant for our day as well. So I'm also a missionary. I spend a lot of time overseas teaching in universities, seminaries, and in churches. So I, I've got a, I've got a mul multitude of different places that I go. Yeah. Uh, define hermeneutics for those that may not. Not me. I absolutely know what it means. But um... <laughs> I, love, I like the way this is starting already. All right. Yeah. Hermeneutics, uh, the art and science of understanding or interpreting is how most people say it. Hermeneutics, uh, Hermes is the God, the messenger God. And so he takes messages. It's how you understand something. So if, if somebody is uh, standing in, up in front of a classroom and you're sitting next to your wife, for instance, and he winks at your wife, you have to interpret that in a certain way. How are you gonna interpret it? Is this a flirtatious move? Does he have something in his eye? Is he making a joke that he only wants her to understand? There's a multitude of things. If you jump up and punch him, you may have made the wrong hermeneutical move. But that is a fantastic definition. And I've asked <laughs> other people, that was a great, that explained it to me more than I think anyone else has. 
Very good. Of course, of course, that's that's uh, you're interpreting action and things like that. But what we're talking about specifically is interpreting literature. So the Bible as literature is what I do, and more specifically, Hebrew Bible as literature. What is it trying to do in its particular time and its context, et cetera? So, did you have to? I I'm sure the answer is yes, but are you some? Are you um, not verbally fluent, but can you read? Do you understand Hebrew to a fair extent? Would you consider yourself fluent? Uh, I would not consider myself fluent. Anybody who actually knows Hebrew would be embarrassed at what I know, but uh, or they'd be embarrassed for me, I guess. But yes, I you know I have to be an expert in Hebrew and Greek and honestly a bunch of other languages, but. The reality is if you ask me what languages I know, I'll just say English. Yeah. I won't tell you all these other ones, but I can work in them. I can do research in those languages. And at one point I could read pretty quickly and understand pretty quickly in the Hebrew Bible, but it's been a long time since I had to do that. Now I've got cool books or computer programs that help me out in, in many of these areas. I know. That's okay. okay. We live in the future. It's a, it's a, it's a horrifying and wonderful time to be alive. Uh, so in regards to the Bible, I, I have one question. Oh, this is going to be quick then. Fantastic. And that is, huh? And follow-up question. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. All right. I guess we'll, <laughs> yeah. What's going on with that? I well, guess we'll... that one quick sentence. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> so as far as questions I had, I guess we can rightly start around Genesis so I, I um, this will be rehashed for my listeners, but for you, my I grew up with the understanding of literal Adam and Eve. Uh, I guess I, I would have considered myself a um, young earth creationist. I, I, I wouldn't have used that language, but maybe 10 years ago, that is what I believed. Um, I, I don't think I heard those labels yet um believed in the exodus uh believed that there was a literal satan and that the serpent in the garden was that literal satan um believed in the concepts of penal substitutionary atonement and believed in a literal conscious eternal torment those were kind of the things and the rapture and the standard kind of Bible belt in times theology. Um, what was that book series left behind? Sure. I thought it was like, yeah, that could happen. And I finally started when I, I started taking my faith more seriously as an adult, I guess around eight years ago. And that was when, you know, the, I think the first crack was, okay, this hell thing Okay, it turns out it might ne not necessarily mean what I think it means, eternal conscious torment. And then reading um, about, uh, you know, is there a literal Adam and Eve? Is that necessary? Um, the whole idea of Genesis being a polemic of like this counter story to other creation myths that already existed. So that's kind of my framework. So you being the Old Testament scholar, I guess we can start with literal Adam and Eve or do things like that matter? And how does Genesis fit into history 
or narrative or kind of the purpose of that book? <laughs> All right. Uh, you, and, and here's, I'm going to throw stuff at you. Feel free to answer whatever you want or kind of take the general idea of my questioning and answer as to what you know, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, you went in a lot of different directions. Genesis is a large book, uh, which is connected to other books that were written quite a long time ago in a particular context, an ancient Near Eastern context. There are particular genre. There are different genres even within this one larger book that was written. So if you want to talk about literal, uh, you know, most people when they hear the word literal are thinking like some kind of wooden, the words mean exactly what they say. That, that is the opposite of metaphorical. But the reality is most words have metaphorical meaning as well. And so we want to, we want to be careful to figure out the genre of something. So if you are reading a story, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned you listened to my Hasatan, the Satan section, and you mentioned that the serpent was very literal to you. And so if you're reading a story about three bears, for instance, that have a conversation about their soup being, uh, you know, too hot or too cold or any of those things, and a little yellow haired girl that comes in and, and they're able to somehow communicate with each other or a wolf that is dressing up like a grandmother and someone comes in and they talk back and forth how big your eyes are. You know pretty early on that what you're talking about is not something that probably happened in history because wolves don't talk, bears don't talk, things like that. And in fact, as soon as I say- Yeah, we know of. Right, let's be, let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they do not have the, the ability to do so. It is actually evolutionary impossible. They've, they've never had vocal cords to be able to do something like that. It's just not, right? And same way with snakes. So the great thing about genres sometimes is that they're really clear. If an animal talks to you, you know what genre it is, right? And you, or at least you know it's not a historical genre. You know it's probably a fable maybe because that's a place that a lot of animals talk, especially if it has a moral at the end. So you can hear that in the genre. And I, I don't know how brilliant your listeners are. I haven't heard your They're podcast. very smart. They're very smart. Okay, so I, don't, I probably yeah. don't need to say things like, um, you know, what the definition of a genre is. We all go no, to Netflix no, no, no. and we pick up action or comedy, things like that. But there's a lot more. And, and, you know, Netflix has all these secret genres in it that you can find. It's not just romance, but it's action romance. It's action romance Korean. It's action romance Korean gay. It's, you know, it's like there's so many different genres in there. And sometimes you can figure them out real quickly. So if I say once upon a time, boom, you automatically know we're moving out of the real world into a pretend world and you've got to figure out what's happening there. For some reason, when we deal with the Bible, Genesis or any text, really, we forget that. We just very quickly assume that this book is something that is truth, which I don't deny for a second. The book is 100% truth. I spend all of my time dealing with the truth that is in scripture, but truth doesn't always mean history. And so we, and, and everyone knows that, right? If, if Jesus tells a parable, we don't take that as historical. We take that as a story in order to get a point across. It's still true. The point is still true. Or if the Lord is my shepherd, we all know that God isn't a shepherd. If we've learned our catechism well, 
you know, the Lord, God is a spirit and has not a body like man. So he's not carrying around sheep or anything like that. It, all this is metaphorical language. In fact, whenever we talk about God, we use metaphor. That's, you can't do it otherwise, right? He has strong right arm. He can see throughout all the, all the world. Like that assumes he has eyes and he has a strong right arm. Like, no, no, he's a sure. spirit. He doesn't have those things. So we all recognize that. But when we get to Genesis, we feel like it has to be historical truth. And that's a dangerous assumption. And there's no reason to assume that except for we've heard that must be the way it is. Ken Ham told us that, for instance, you mentioned young earth creation. Yeah. Do you, so, do you know why do you know in church history, like, was there like, at what point did it stop being read and taught as a genre and start being taught as this actually happened. This is historicity. This is literal. Was it a, or is that not really a thing that you can pin down? Cause that was my question is like, so then how did, when did we, when did that happen? Yeah, you can't exactly pin it down. Um, there are probably much smarter people than me that can come, can narrow it better than I can in, in church history. But the reality is that you see different schools of thought pretty early on. Um, you have the, the Antiochian school of thought versus the Alexandrian. One is more literal, one is more allegorical, for instance. But let's never pretend that one is a literal group and one is like they oppose each other on everything. They, they're just more in one direction or the other. So you've got Augustine saying things very early on, right? This is, this is in the first five centuries. Augustine is already saying, you know, let's, let's not take this stuff too literally, people. Like if there's a lot of people laughing at us because we're taking things literally. Like there's no reason to do such things. So mm. that, that doesn't mean, so I want to be careful as a pastor and as a person who might want to get hired by somebody one day and who listens to your podcast. I got to be careful with these kinds of things. Um, I'm not going to say whether something is historical or not, like whether it's literally like whether Adam and Eve, for instance, are real beings with the name of Adam and Eve. I would prefer to say like that. I'll leave that for the theologians. Okay. I'm a biblical theologian. I want to know what the literature is trying to do. Is it trying to give me a story about an original pair trying to do something, or is there something else in the story? And the fact that it shows up in the very beginning of Genesis as, as an intro to Torah, to Yerah, to this uh, instruction gives me a lot of information. So I, I want to figure out what it's doing there and how it connects to all the other interpretations that are going to happen. Former prophets, latter prophets, the writings, all of these things, what they're doing with that stuff. And you can find that even Second Temple, even New Testament, right? That's Second Temple writings, how they're interpreting this text. That's what I care most about. But in Genesis itself, like there's a storyline there that you can see doesn't have to doesn't have to only be historical. Sure. There are ways, there sure, are ways sure. to read this story. In fact, there are ways you must read this story if you're being fair to the text that puts it in this different world. You know, magic trees and talking serpents and being kicked out of cosmic gardens, cosmic mountain gardens. Like that's what's happening in the story. And we have other stories about that. Like Proverbs is the same story about a young man who is supposed to be mature and grow into a certain way of thing, but doesn't choose God's way of doing it. 
right? And so, you know, he chooses foolishness instead of, um, uh, instead of wisdom. It's another wisdom story, or maybe he doesn't choose it, but here's the option. Which way will you right. choose? He's, he's a new Adam. Or Israel, Israel itself is the same story, right? So which, which, will Adam, which will Israel choose? Will you listen to God? Will you stay in the temple the way you're supposed to be? And when the false prophet comes in telling you, oh, but God said this, will you cut off the head of the false prophet and keep listening to the true prophet or to Yahweh himself? And when you don't, when you let the false prophet talk to you and you go that direction, you take the fruit, you eat of it, because you think it looks good, you're going to choose wisdom on your own, what happens? Well, you get exiled. You get moved out hmm. of the good land of, of Eden or of Israel, and you get pushed into Assyria or Babylon. So it's the same story. Adam gets pushed into another land, and it's the whole thing. Oh, journey. man, that's a fantastic yeah. point. Yeah, and it, it almost makes it, makes it incredibly utilitarian because of just how many different things the the story can apply to like in all points in history are you where do you land on the supernatural aspects of the bible in general and i guess of christianity in general well i don't i have a hard time thinking you can be a christian in in the historical sense of the word christian and not have a supernatural viewpoint I so, agree, but I've I mean, met many recently who who don't, and that's an interesting thing to me. But they claim Christianity? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, Christian, you have to have some definition of Christianity. There has to be something. I don't know what they would argue that their definition is, but I think God is supernatural. Yeah, I, I so agree. He's outside of our, like, I haven't seen him. So doesn't, I mean, I assume that makes him supernatural by most people's definition of the word. <laughs> He's well, outside and, of nature. Because how about the things like um, the sons of God, you know, you have the tribes of giants, you have the divine council. In your mind, are those things in existence? Or is, is that a difficult question? And this is really probably just a personal question. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. So I'm going to, once again, I'm going to go back to the fact that I'm a biblical scholar and not a systematic theologian. So, and not a philosopher and not an ontology. Like I don't, the, the ontology something, whether it exists or not, whether the being is there or not, it's a separate question. So I would want to ask, first of all, what is the text doing? Mm -hmm. And then try to figure out where to go with that. So the texts, like, for instance, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the sons of God, or the divine counsel of Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image, or many of the other passages, the Psalms, for instance, Isaiah goes up into the council room, um, Zechariah, Job, Job, for sure. Yep. So all these things that we talked about on the Hasatan uh, podcast, Um. All of those are assuming that there are some other gods of some kind. So the literature is painting a picture of other gods. That's the world that they lived in. They, so they lived in a world where there are lots of other gods. The gods came down. They crossed boundaries that they shouldn't have crossed. They intermarried or at least messed around with women um, on earth. And they created this giant group, this this whole world of giants, the Nephilim, 
the sons of Anak or the Anakim, the Giborim, the Rephaim, like all of these different groups of people. And the rest of the story um, from really from Exodus, but very seriously in Joshua and in the books of Kings and Samuel, right, are the stories of defeating these giant creatures, right? So that's what you do when you go into Jericho. Oh, they're so big. Yeah, of course they're big because they're a different group. They're the ones that have to be harem. They're the ones that have to be offered up to God. Um, they, they have to be banned. Now, that doesn't mean that those really exist because giants in their world would have been six feet tall, right? So the average really? man, yeah, the average man at their in their world is five foot to five foot, five and a half foot. People don't that people didn't grow any much more than that. I did not. So, I did not know that. So if you even read like Goliath, you know there are different measurements. He could be he could be either nine foot six or six foot six, depending on which texts you use. So six six. I see a lot of people that are six six. That's a big man. That is a big man. But it's not anything like insane. Like we're not talking about some cyclops with a big eye that's like holding people in his hands and stuff. <laughs> like he's just a, a taller than average. And so they would have been freaked out by that kind of thing. And they would have told stories about stuff like that. Is it really a, the progeny of supernatural beings? I would have a hard time going there. Definitely. I know uh, one of my friends, Mike, um, uh, Michael Heiser, yeah, that's that's where yes, I've had him on a, a bunch of times, and All that's right. so I'm an acolyte of his uh, of his work for sure. All right. So me and Mike would we would go the same direction, and so many. In fact, I would say when I was like in my mid twenties, I listened to a presentation he did at one of those Bible nerd conferences that really started me off in that direction. He was still pretty new to the game then. This is thirty years ago, but now twenty. Oh years wow. Ago. So he was still new, but he totally turned me on to his world of henotheism and monolatry. And so if he's listening to this, I hope he doesn't for a moment uh, think that I have anything but huge respect to him. I listen to the Naked Bible podcast. I've read Unseen Realm. I, I listen to him very sincerely. My concern with him, and I, I know he's heard this before, my concern yeah. with him is that he takes the he takes the literature and he makes certain assumptions about it having to be reality. And I don't, I just don't know that it has to go there. That I'm not saying he's wrong because who am I to actually say Michael Heiser's wrong? I mean, he's, he's, he's way smarter than me for sure. <laughs> but, but I also hang out with the same kind of crowd he does. I mean, we have the same degree, although his, his is more fancy and cool. Um, I just, I don't know that it has to, you don't have to say, well, you know, we saw these UFOs and so they're probably angelic beings. I think that that's the world of the literature and we need to figure out what the literature is doing and not necessarily what it entails in reality. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not willing to go quite as far as he is in that area. Although I don't want to say there are no such thing as angels or demons. I'm not willing to go there either. Okay. So okay. I, I find myself struggling between his, his worldview and mine that is just holding on to the literature. And, he, and, and what he would rightfully ask me is, okay, you're right. The literature's here. Now what? Like theologize, yeah. Jace, theologize. Like, where are you going with this? And I'm like, that's and, and there. That, and that's where, that's where I think I've figured out it, it really almost is 
a personality type there. It seems like there are myself included. It's like, I really want that to be true. Like I enjoy fantasy. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think some people just don't have that inclination. You know what I mean? Because it seems like a lot of people will kind of get to that stop sign and you're either going right or left. And some people go way left and into like the current conspiracies and COVID is Nephilim blood, you know, like crazy, crazy oh, stuff. Wow. And, okay. I haven't heard yeah, that stuff. Okay. You know, uh, and then other people will just kind of stop there and say, yes, this is what, what they believe. And this is what it was written, but it doesn't necessarily have to be reality. So I just, I was just curious. That also is a good segue though, into my, my second question. And this is for the, um, well, for a few progressives, I know this is kind of the, uh, the deal breaker for them is the old Testament uh, God ordering the slaughtering of peoples. Right. And it, it was my understanding that what God was telling them to do was it because they were those tribes of like polluted bloodlines? Is that is am I incorrect in that? Did it not have to do with the giant tribes and all that? And God was like, slaughter the people. But how yeah. how would you? What do you make of the God of the Old Testament's? You know, I'm using air quotes. Seemingly having a bloodlust. Yeah. Okay. So we're back to, I mean, again, that's, that's Heiser's thesis and not his alone that, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to put this all on him. Like he's, right. he's got lots of scholars behind him too. Um, that, that God has sent them to destroy this, this abomination that's happened because the angelic or God realm has invaded the earth realm and it shouldn't have done that. So, you know, go to Peter and Jude and stuff like that. Um, and I think that I, th- I can say I'm, I'm largely persuaded by his argument in the literature. Mm-hmm. That is, that is what the literature is trying to do to present these people as um, worthy of, of destruction because mm-hmm. of that, the harem again, that they're, they're worth that. That's what that, you know, to put them up for destruction to and, um, and it, the it, ban it, of God is what it's called. And, and it's always used in a killing sense, the harem. Um, it's always used in a, a burning devotion sense. Yes. Okay. So there you can, it's not just people. And, okay. And so it can, it can also be objects and things like that, but, okay. But yes, that's, that's generally the idea is you would set them apart for destruction. So now the question is, is God really doing this or not? Now that's, that's a different question than did they think God was doing this or did they want to uh, persuade people that God right. was doing, even if they didn't think God was doing this? So you have to make a lot of if assumptions. About that, yeah, good. Okay, and, and and I've heard yes, and I've heard that that counter argument, and maybe you can ease my fears. But for to me, if that is true, then how do I? not gain a sense of distrust for other places in the Bible. It's like, okay, if you, if you are speaking for God in this case, and it turned out that you were mistaken or you, or you, or, or even worse, it was a conscious decision to cover up 
my actions and just, you know, kind of like the crusades or something. It's like, okay, well then what else did you apply that to? Is, is that like an unfounded fear or is that? Oh, that's a great question. (sighs) If God, if God is, didn't do that and rather the biblical authors made it, put that in the voice of God, then where else might have they done that? And why do I have to believe any of this stuff? So I would, I would say it like this first, I think we have, I think we have a misunderstanding as to what the Bible is largely. And that's, that's our biggest problem. This is where I started to unravel my uh, evangelical. I'm still evangelical, but unravel that old, like you gave yourself a list of all the things, right. That, that right. rapture, hell atonement, all that, and started rethinking all of that stuff. Cause I would say it like this. Um, the beauty of scripture is uh, Pete N says this. He says, um, God lets his children tell the story. So I like that. I would say that the Old Testament is a, an elementary understanding of who God is. And what the biblical authors are trying to do is wrestling with their understanding of Yahweh in a world that is throwing all kinds of ideas at them. So who's the best God? Well, the best God is the one who defeats all the other gods. Who's the best dad on the playground? My dad can beat your dad up. And your dad's <laughs> like, will you stop telling people that, Johnny? I, I'm not beating anybody up. Like, and, but what, oh, Johnny's trying to get a, what he's trying to get across is that my dad's awesome, right? And that's the big picture thing. And he only knows how to get across my God's awesome in the world that, or my dad, in the world that he lives in. And that's, you know, my dad can fight your dad. And in their world, they had a similar understanding of God. Who's going to, who's going to be the winner? The one who defeats the other gods, of course. And there's a lot of truth in that. God is more awesome than all the other gods. How do I show it? Well, he defeats these gods and this, this army and all these things. And he calls us to go and defeat all those things. I would say that's a, that's a playground understanding. Hmm. Yeah. And that maybe we need to get at least to the teenager or to the adult level. And so I see the New Testament coming along, intricately connected to the Old Testament and saying, and God saying, okay, I appreciate you guys telling your story. Like, and, and you got so much of it correct. And I have to put correct in quotes or something like that. Like you're telling the story the way I want in a way that gets across many good things, but also is filtered in with your own biases, your own ideologies, your own propaganda, your political beliefs, right? I mean, even in Kings, we have, you know, who's the best, who's the best uh, King? Is it David? Is it Solomon? Is it Saul? Well, that depends on who's writing. Is Manasseh a good guy or a bad guy? That depends on whether you're writing before the exile or after the exile. These, these are all political kinds of questions. And people have different political opinions, whether you're David-eyed or Saul-eyed is going to show up in the text as you're writing those things. So I think the New Testament comes Hmm. along and God says, all right, I want to clarify all that stuff in the Old Testament. There's a lot that you got good and I moved it along. So like the ancient Near East had this view and I wanted you to, I wanted you to progress from that view. So I gave you, I revealed myself here in the Old Testament and then the Old Testament like had only so much of a good view and I moved us forward. That was good. You could only take so much, right? So good, but we need another, we need to move forward to the next level. And so God said, now I'm going to send my son. 
you've heard it said in the past through the, it was spoken through the prophets. Now I'm speaking through my son, Hebrews, right? So Jesus is the clarification of who God is. So I do think we're supposed to read the Old Testament through this Jesus lens and see where it lines up with Jesus. I think that's a fair thing, a fair thing to say. And of course that yeah. asks all kinds of new questions like, okay, is there a way that we can look back on the New Testament and say the New Testament didn't have it all figured out either? That's another very scary thought, but. Yeah, because I always mistakenly, when I got to the end of the revelation and it says, whoever adds to this book, I will add to him the curses and whoever takes away, I'll take away. I assumed that that was referring to the entire Bible, not just revelation, right? Because mm-hmm. so, I always had the question, and this was, was another question as well about, about canon, but I guess, well, yeah, it was kind of a joke, but why, why this Bible, why the Bible, why not any more revelations? What makes you trust it? So that's a, that's a great question. The, the word trust in there needs to be kind of taken apart. So I trust scripture, but it's not script. I mean, I'm trusting God mm-hmm. who has divinely inspired scripture. So it's scripture is supposed to point me to God. That's kind of the goal of it all. So if you were to ask me, is scripture reliable, which is another way of saying, do you trust scripture? Mm-hmm. I would say reliable for what? What do I trust it for? Do I trust it to give me scientific accuracies? historical perfection like is that what it's doing is it going to give me up-to-date understanding of astrology (laughs) um astronomy Uh, you know what's it what is it reliable for it's not reliable at all for me to fix my uh, my nissan like i it's it's useless to me it'd be pretty cool if it was chapter four remove the spark plugs (laughs) so i want to know what you mean by trust it i trust it to lead me to christ that's what I trust it to do. And it does lead me to Jesus. I, I guess more um, what I had in mind when I said trust was trust that the books that needed to arrive in the Bible arrived there. The Because me and my friend were having a really interesting conversation about, you know, the the we've all played the telephone game where you start saying one thing by the time it gets around, it's completely different. So yep. this is this book has been going on for centuries so it, do we trust that what that we are reading, and I guess that's what you do because you are actually going backwards with, with original manuscripts, but uh, can I trust that what was needed to be said is said, that the books were assembled by the people that needed to assemble it? Um, that sort of thing, I, I suppose, is, yeah. is what I kind of had in mind. All right, so I'll say something shocking to start off and then try to answer your question. Oh. So we often talk about, in fact, if you look at almost any church website, you'll see in their doctrine of scripture, we believe that the Bible is inerrant, and we're not even going to talk about the word inerrancy. Let's just throw that one out. That's not where I'm going, unless you want to later, but inerrant in the original manuscripts. Okay. So we have we have this understanding that there there is such a thing as an original manuscript, when that concept is completely fictional. So the whole, I, so we don't have to, we don't have to argue about inerrancy. 
Uh, There's no such thing as original manuscripts. That that assumes that someone sat down one day and wrote wrote this out. But that's not the way manuscript history works, right? Somebody would have taken one story from here and another story from here, so and they put them together, and then they added some words in between that to connect them together, and then they took another story, and then they wrote a story in here that they heard around the fireplace, and they, they've taken all these stories, these different sources that have come together. Are we saying that it's the original source that they took, that that's the original manuscript, or the one that got edited to be that first edited version, or the next editing version, or the next one over the next 500 years? Uh. The Bible is a fluid text until a certain point. People had no problem making changes in the Bible. So the idea that it, it is solid and it looks in a certain way, and do we get the right one, that those questions don't, they're not, they don't understand the way manuscript history works. I, I, or, yes, I did not. <laughs> so, so that's a simple way to start this off. Now, but still a question of canon. Mm. We, we think of this magical process, like scripture is something that has been handed down on high into our hands, something like, you know, the golden tablets, uh, you know, that, yeah, that Mormonism yeah. has and things like that. And, and that's not the way, you know, there is a manuscript history that, that was written, that has come and an oral history to all of these things. And, and what I would say is these are the books that we've agreed the churches agreed are the ones that we will use that will be called canon. It, it doesn't, mm. it doesn't matter. Like this doesn't mean that Maccabees is wrong for, you know, because it's not in our Protestant canon, but it is in the Catholic canon. Okay. So first Maccabees is okay because it's in their canon, but not in ours or Judith or Tobit, things like that. And so what do we as Protestants, we have all these little rules like, well, the reason that they're not in there is because they're historically inaccurate. Well, yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> uh, a lot yeah. of ours are historically inaccurate kind of too, maybe. And, you know, oh, well, you know, they, they tell stories that are unbelievable. I mean, like, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> is Tobit any more unbelievable because a bird flies over and mm. you know hoops in the eye of somebody and then an angel comes and they go on this journey? Like, yeah, it's ludicrous, but it's getting across a point. Jonah's kind of ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, there's there's other stories that fit that same, like, really? Come on. Yeah. So in the end, we have 66 books in our Protestant canon. Those are the books that we as the church have said, these are the ones that are going to bind us in a certain way. They're going to push us forward in a certain way. But someone who doesn't read First Enoch or doesn't read Jubilees or the Testament of Abraham, they're missing out. Like there's so many beautiful things and they help us in our interpretation of our specific books but I don't know if God would come along and say, you know, it's just these 66 that are going to point to me. No, that's just, those are the ones that the church has designed that are going to most beautifully point to God in, in the way that they think it should. But Enoch points to God. I, you know, I, certainly the shepherd of Hermas. Oh my goodness. It almost made the Didache in the New Testament. Like these are some great books that should be read and revered inspired I, that word is you know what does it so mean? it this is this is this is great information and this is the stuff 
I'm this not sure is I'm the giving stuff. information as so much as I'm just asking questions. But I like no, that well, it, well, yes, it's but, but you, a, a few times it's it, it really is as simple as well. No, you're just kind of you're you're I'm looking through a different prism or I'm looking from a different angle. Yeah. And what and I know it bothers me so much just to see, you know, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but especially down south, just these the it seems like so many churches and believers are just way off. And it it is frustrating because it's like, but, you know, I guess that's that's a lot of my own judgment and i suppose what what works for you works for you and and that's fine but it it seems like there are many that are satisfied with this uh frothy soda fountain version of christianity when like there's it's because my my the thing i hate the most especially i get into reddit arguments all the time uh, or on the internet and people that just say like, oh, the Bible's a book of fairy tales. It's like, that's what you're going to reduce it to? Like, even if you don't believe it, like that is a really dumb statement to say. So I didn't really have anything to ask there, but it just does it. I guess you being even more knowledgeable about it, do you, do you find that? Do you get frustrated with you know, modern believers? Of course. Yeah. Uh, the church is a mess. It's woefully ignorant on many things. And by the way, church that's listening, I love you like crazy. I'm a pastor. I'm trying to help in these areas. But the reality is the Bible is a lot more complex than we want it to be. We want it very simply just to like come to us like, you know, God is just talking to me and it's very, and I get that. I understand that. And there's probably people listening right now, speaking of reductionism and complexity, like we're asking huge, like the questions you're asking, hundreds of books have been written on each one of these things. And I'm giving an answer in three minutes. (laughs) Anytime I'm giving it, it's wrong. Everything I've said is probably wrong because I'm trying to reduce it down to like a a soundbite to help people's minds like, oh, oh, oh. And that's all I'm trying to do. But the reality yeah. is once we go to the next level, any real scholar who's listening to this would be like, well, like, yeah, I mean, it's not like there's no such thing as an original manuscript. Like, yeah, we yeah, go to the yeah. next level and the next level and the next of level. Of course, I'm of course. Saying certain things to try and help us to think about things, realizing that they're not fully accurate, even as I'm saying them. And that, and of that... course, there's probably a lot that I don't even know isn't accurate. Right. And, and that that's probably as, as close to a mission statement as, as I have is get people thinking about things in different ways yeah. um, because it really does. And it wasn't it, it. That's a lot of things are just like, oh, it's so simple that but I just never you know, you can't see what you can't see. And it, we really do get I mean, each person gets kind of locked into their own life experiences and their own version of teachers and some things we just don't even think to question yes. until one day it's like, well, why do you believe that? It's like, uh, mm, because I do, you know, because this person told it to me. And, so and I, you go ahead. I was say, speaking of the church that you were just talking about, you know, the big picture church 
and it's ignorance on things that we, we fall into that all the time, right? We're, we are not allowed to listen to other people. Many of our own people will tell us, don't veer, don't ask those kinds of questions because they'll lead you yes. into these wrong things. Don't, the Bible isn't complex. It should just speak to you and it should lead you to be a good person and things. And that just assumes so many wrong things and, and hurtful. But I remember it happening. Like I was a sincere, good Christian trying my darndest to listen to my R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur. And, and I learned a good deal from them. And I find that time in my life very helpful. I'm not going to look back on it and, and disparage it in any way. It was good. But I had to move out of that. And I had to realize, you know, I, I need scholars. We all need scholars. Like just our reading of the Bible to begin with already assumes that scholars have taken it apart for us. It's called translation, right? Yeah. There's already interpretation and translation. And so sometimes I like to complexify scripture on purpose so that people realize there's a lot more out there that you haven't thought of yet. I, and I, that's, that brings up another point. I, I, I did have the thought of like, man, sometimes I wish I could go back into the matrix because I do remember when I was so, so certain Then I read ends the sin of certainty. And that was just like, good grief. But I remember being just, I, I knew what I believed and it was very, very simple, but I knew it and I believed it. And it's like once. And so part of it's like, oh, because it, 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 you're right. It leads to the next level for every question I have answered. It just opens up 17 more questions, each with their own branches of questions so I, I ha sometimes I have to just, you know, that's just my, the way my mind works. I have to bring it way back down to just like, okay, love your neighbor. Jesus is Lord. Like go to sleep. You know, you're cool. It's going to be okay. And so the, the last bit of time we have left, this is a question I, I shop around as much as I can because uh, selfishly, I, I'm just curious how, how it works because I think I have a very specific view of what I think I'm supposed quote supposed to feel like and interact with God. So I'm curious, how do you, and we'll just say currently, we'll keep it current. How do you experience and relate to God on a daily basis? Ah, I thought you were going to be talking to me about scholarship. Now we got to talk about mm. personal stuff, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. This is uh, something. Speaking of, you know, how we got connected, something Josh and I speak of sometimes, uh, often, because I don't I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, I have been in an incredible wilderness for the last couple of years, and I have learned a lot about God, and especially about the hiddenness of God which is a whole theological movement, right? This whole understanding in the Bible that God is hiding from us, which I don't think is technically true, but that's what it feels it like. It feels like. Um, so I would say my everyday encounter with God is, is in the, <laughs> it looks like me crying out and begging for some sort of assurance that, that he's there and cares. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I, this, I, I'm definitely not going to post this now that I've said all this stuff because 
Oh, I'm sorry. But I, I'm gonna I, want to drop at some point. <laughs> I, I will I will say you almost just made I, I I mean I might counter that because this is also what I found is that true honesty from the from what I've learned, true honesty rarely has a downside. And you made me tear up a little bit because I I have I feel that way. I'm very much in a dark night of the soul, and it feels like I'm doing something wrong. And I know you're no better than me. I know that intellectually, but to it, it's like, you know, that one of the things that helps me the most is knowing that like mother Teresa famously didn't feel God. And it's like, okay, so it has nothing to do with how much I know or how much I'm doing. It doesn't just because I don't feel it doesn't mean that that he's not there or that he's not feeling it. And so there is great comfort to me to know that someone like you feels the same way because I all too often like, Oh, you know, I'll ask someone that question filled with the spirit brother. And like, Oh, God's just, you know, pouring into me. And it's just like, well, then why isn't he doing that with me? Yeah. And that is a hard, that's hard. It's, and I it's, think, I think the times are different. So, I mean, I can say for most of my life, I had a very close, uh, walk with God and that now it looks more hidden and it's more of a walk of sorrow and suffering and, uh, and crying out to him and hoping that he hears me and comes to my rescue again, like he has before in the past. There's a great book. It's really old now. Hannah Hernard, I think, uh, it's called, uh, Heinz feet in high places. It's an allegory. It's a fiction, fictional allegory. And it's about much afraid, which fits me really well because I feel like fear is, most of who I am, it seems like over the last few years, afraid of things. And Jesus comes to much afraid and, or the chief shepherd, sorry, the chief shepherd comes to much afraid and she's on a path to go up to the high places to the, so she needs Heinz feet. She need to, needs to develop this. And he gives her two companions, sorrow and suffering. And he's like, okay, go. And what I think I'm only about halfway through it. I read it a long time ago, but I can't remember. The thing that's, it's so perfect in, uh, in so many ways, but there's this constant refrain that anytime much afraid cries out for help, the chief shepherd is like, boom, he's there. Like pride is starting to convince, you know, much afraid of what, to, what they're supposed to do. And she's like, okay, chief shepherd, chief shepherd. And he like comes running over the rocks with his staff, like knocks, you know, uh, knocks pride into the water and like, yes, he seems to always show up in this book, which sounds awesome to me. I just, I just keep crying out, Chief Shepherd, Chief Shepherd. And he doesn't always show up. Or maybe he does, and I've put a, a wall around it. And that's what I'm trying to work through right now. So you can know all the stuff that, I mean, I don't actually know that much stuff, but you can have all these scholarly understandings. You can walk with God your whole life. And that, and I don't doubt his existence. I just, struggle from time to time to believe he cares about me. Mm. And so I'm constantly saying, okay, yes, I know. I'm, I'm so my, my wife passed away six years ago mm, and sorry. she was, she was struggling with just in her brain. Like, is God listening? Does he care? And her constant refrain was, I'm going to go back to when I was healthy and what I believed about God then, because right now I'm traumatized. I'm unhealthy. And I'm struggling because I'm unhealthy. And so I remember her going through that. I'm like, that is such grace and brilliance. Like there's so much good there. My brain is traumatized right now. 
from things that I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And I just want to, so I just say, you know what is successful for me? I'm just still clinging. That's every day I'm clinging and trusting and I'm holding on and I'm keeping allegiance to the King, even though it's a, it's an hour by hour struggle for him to actually be there. So my prayer life's not as good. It's a lot more just dear God help that kind of stuff. Um, help me understand, help me understand these, but I don't spend hours praying for other people. And so I'd love to get back to some of that and that encounter. And so Josh has actually been somewhat helpful because he reads a lot of mystics and, and me thinks too. through and okay. So, and, and, and I want some of that. I want yeah. that different feel, but I don't think it's all about feeling either. So, well, I, and that's my, my trap. Um, you know, the podcast is called church and other drugs because the other half of me is a recover recovered heroin addict. And I'm, I'm a drug counselor, professional drug counselor. Um, and so I, I, you know, went through decades of extremely serious drug addiction, been in comas, all sorts of things. So I have had intense, intense, visceral spiritual experiences where like I felt it you know I felt God and because of my addiction I realized that I kind of want God to be a high from for me and I liked the spiritual high and I I really need intense feelings and so kind of kind of the only thing that I've that I've come to is that it's it's the um you know, when you're a child, you need milk. And when you're, when you're a man, you need meat that it's that God is kind of like, look, I've done that for you. It's time for you to, it's really easy to believe in God when he shows up. Sure. Right. And, and this is, this has been like, are you gonna believe no matter what? And I, I, that exact thing you said, I literally have a few times been like, I am just, I'm just, I'm just gonna believe like, I'm not, gonna not like i'm i'm still here and it may just be it may just be a trial so you're not alone and there's there's legions of uh of listeners too that's i think we we a lot of us bond over that um yeah so thank you for sharing that like it it helped me if nothing else good well that's good well, Jace, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, maybe we can talk again sometime. I'll, 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 I'll come up with a more clear line of questioning. This I really just wanted to kind of shoot some scattershot at you and see what landed. I, I think that's great. Yeah, I, every one of your questions, I would have been like, okay, let's narrow it down to this, to this, to this. Now I can talk for an hour and a half on that subject. Yeah. So- yeah you know genesis literal like okay come on let's put yeah. it down <laughs> so thank you though it was great it was a great time good i'm All happy right. to talk anytime you want awesome send me an email church and other drugs at gmail.com patreon.com slash church and other drugs and store frontier slash church and other drugs tiring and trying the necessary time like the horseshoe crab in its proper season shed its shell such distance from our friends a scratch across the land made everything look wrong from anywhere we stood our paper blew away before we'd left the bay so half blind we wrote these songs on sheets of salty wood caught me making eyes and the other bowman's wife and heard me laughing louder at the jokes told by their daughters i'd set my course for land but you well understand it 
Still dark, Captain Spotted napping with his first 